0: Nandita's phone has not stopped buzzing since the past one week. Congratulatory messages keep pouring in. Why? On World Tuberculosis Day on March 23rd, Nandita Venkateshin, who is a two-time TB survivor herself, got a special reason to cheer. In big news in Pharma, the Indian Patent Office on Thursday has rejected U.S. pharmaceutical company Johnson & Johnson's attempt to extend its monopoly in India on the miracle TB drug pedaquilin. And I'm happy to say that Nandita, who is a business journalist and a former colleague at the Economic Times, was one of the three applicants opposing the extension of this patent.
1: My uh, UN speech that I had given in 2018, the closing line was this, that I cannot hear you today, but I'll make sure you hear me.
0: But for Johnson & Johnson or g the multinational manufacturer of Bidaculin there have been issues time and again that have had negative outcomes for its patients in India. For instance, tens of patients are fighting a case against J&J to receive compensation against faulty hip implants that have rendered several of them disabled. It's an issue for which the company has already paid $2.5 billion to its patients in the US a decade ago.
2: Though I broke the story, but the whole of media had started covering it, building pressure on the company and the government alike. So it kind of became like a movement for everyone. And then the patients came together. And then there were NGOs who started helping. Since everyone was eyeing the outcome, the government could not get away without you know taking any action.
0: That's my colleague, Tina Tucker, who broke the story in Mint in 2018. This points to a clear issue with India's drug and healthcare regulatory mechanism.
3: We have a regulatory setup which do not detect and penalize companies the way they do in the US. And secondly, the patient awareness itself is very, very weak.
0: That's Vikas Dandekar, editor of Pharma and Healthcare at ET Prime, highlighting why pharma companies become lax in their conduct in India. It's Thursday, March 30th from the Economic Times. I'm Kiran Somvanshi, and you are listening to Patients Before Patents or Profits. In this episode, we delve into India's latest move to curb evergreening of patents, why pharma MNCs treat India differently from their home markets, and why a strong patient rights ecosystem is the need of the hour in India. This is the morning brief. Bidaculane is sort of a wonder drug for around 1.2 lakh people that are suffering from multi-drug-resistant TB in India. This drug has improved the treatment success rate of multi-drug-resistant TB from around 50% to 93% and has cut the treatment duration from 2 years to 6 months.
3: Johnson & Johnson coming up with a TB drug after a drought of many years and one that is actually effective against uh, extremely drug-resistant TB. It's the last hope. So when every other drug actually fails in controlling the infection, this drug is put in use. I have seen the entire development across years uh, on bedaquiline. It was actually approved even before all of its clinical trials were over. Uh, But the need of that drug was so tremendous that the trials were actually completed well after the approvals came and I was told that you know people were put on like 18-24 months uh, regimen and to follow that kind of a long regimen was almost becoming impossible so this kind of shortened the treatment and XDRTB is nearly you know fatal and when this came up and when you see recovery really happening so on the innovation side This has been a great work from Johnson & Johnson.
0: In fact, India has negotiated a rate of 400 dollars, that is around 32,000 rupees per patient for a six-month treatment of Bidaculin under its national TB elimination program. The government provides the drug free of cost to nearly 60,000 multi-drug resistant TB patients. But with the Bidaculin patent expiring this July, Do you know how much the generic version of this drug is expected to cost? 650 to 1300 rupees per patient per month. Is this what prompted Nandita to take on a big pharma company like J&J by filing an opposition to their patent? To understand that, you need to know her story first.
1: I had two bouts of TB I had to deal with and I had it for the first time when I was uh, 17 years old. I had just started my graduation in Mumbai and uh, I contracted intestinal tuberculosis which is generally considered a, a rarer form of the disease. I navigated through the treatment in my graduation, which was a difficult time because I was just a 17 or 18-year-old girl and, you know, having been, like, sort of put into this situation. And then I completed my graduation. I finished my treatment. I was declared cured completely. I went on to pursue my master's in New Delhi from the Indian Institute of Mass Communication. And then a year after I had completed my master's in Delhi, And I had returned to Mumbai to pursue work. And it was towards the end of May 2013 that I was diagnosed with a reinfection. Easily, I'll call it the worst day of my life because that day still comes into my mind fresh, even though it's like 10 years now. But uh, I was at the doctor's clinic and then the doctor just told me that, uh, you know, I was experiencing that very familiar stomach pain and nausea, but never really thought that it could be, you know, TB. And I was there with my mom in the clinic and then you know, she just told me that I think it's TB and I just started crying at the clinic. You know, I was just about starting my career and there I could see you know this disease come back again and possibly bring with it some more horrors which I didn't want to take up at that point. And the doctors also said that your disease is quite severe right now compared to what you had before. And the fact is that you will possibly need a surgery to remove that infected portion of the intestine altogether. None of this, frankly, went down well with me even one bit because uh, you don't expect hospitalization and all of this when at, what, 23 years old. Well, I took the medicines, didn't work. Hospitalization happened, and it was supposed to be a matter that was supposed to be closed in, say, three months. That is the fact that I'll undergo the surgery and then, you know, I'll have to rest up a bit and then I can start my normal life after three months. But one surgery turned to, into six. I was operated on my stomach six times, and uh, I was in the hospital for 90 days. I underwent six surgeries. All of them were done on an emergency basis because the bacteria just did not stop spreading. For 15 days, I was in the intensive care unit. Extremely, extremely difficult time and was frankly down to bones. Like I said, I become very thin because of these operations. The mental trauma was immense.
0: But this was just the beginning of Nandita's struggles.
1: After all of this, I used to think that maybe I am done with it. But I think the biggest blow of all came was in uh, 22nd November 2013, which was two days after my birthday. I suddenly lost my hearing completely. I just woke up from an afternoon nap. And at around 2 or 2.15, I woke up to complete silence. You know, it was like before sleep, I could actually listen to everyone around me. I listened to my parents. I listened to my brother, nurse, everyone, and I got up from the sleep with hundred percent silence. And uh, I was right. told that it was a loss of hearing because of an injection that was administered to me as part of my TB treatment. And then I was shocked beyond beyond measure, frankly, that you know, in the middle of my life, uh, you know, a life-altering disability had happened, and that that sort of all of this pushed me into a very long period of depression and a lot of mental health struggles followed after that as well. We were never really warned about this sort of side effect of cannamycin injections, even though they are sort of considered a key part of the treatment. And And that shows for the fact that these kind of medicines still exist in a treatment to me showed that how poorly science was lagging when it came to this disease. You know, just think about it. You know, can we imagine that today, you know, a drug for COVID will be passed? Let's say, you know, that's going to cause you blindness. Can we ever think about any drug today? We can't think about it. It will be unacceptable today if the drug controller in India passes, you know, if there is a drug available to patients that can cause you blindness, deafness and things like these. Is that injection still around, like still given? Yes, it is very much given and people suffer from hearing loss in varying degrees. There are sort of ways to avert this in the sense that the doctor has to inform you beforehand that this can cause uh, hearing loss so you kindly sort of take note of any prior signals you see for example any changes or alterations you feel in your hearing or any ringing of the ear that is called as tinnitus and things like these. Right. but when you're not informed about anything then it just comes just out of the blue. so that sort of I think this disease took away after that four or five years of my life Eventually, Nandita
0: did recover the second time around and as they say, what doesn't break you only makes you stronger. From being a young TB survivor, Nandita gradually got into patient advocacy. She spoke at the 2018 UN General Assembly raising awareness about the disease and was also profiled by the global medical journal Lancet. Today, Nandita Venkateshin is the face of TB advocacy in India.
1: We filed the opposition in February 2019. And at that point of time, MSF had reached out to me saying that they are planning this opposition and would you like to also get on board? I felt that, okay, I'll have to take a look. Let me do my bit of research. And I realized that just... Few months before that, in August, WHO had just brought out its very initial guidelines, one of its first guidelines on the drugs for multi drug resistant TB. Mm. So, to give a background, drug resistant TB means that you stop responding to the first line of medicines. And the treatment for drug resistant TB today involves that patients take almost 15 to 20 medicines every day and uh, you take this for a span of say two years or even three years and this can also involve painful injections the sort of injection that i took and that caused my hearing loss and injections can be given for anywhere between say i got it for almost 100 days in my butt every day and injections are given for a period of uh, anywhere it can go up to say 60 to 100 to even three months or for five months or even six months. WHO had brought out, like I said, its very initial guidelines for bedaquiline drug that is uh, produced by Johnson & Johnson. And they said that bedaquiline has to be scaled up by national TB programs and two injections, canamycin and streptomycin, were de-recommended. So basically, instead of these injections, you now have a much better and oral medicine. So WHO had brought out its recommendation. And when I saw that, and then I felt that there is a right intention here to challenge the patent, because the fact that the recommendation from here on can only get stronger, I felt when the WHO has given its first recommendations, then yes, there will be a scale-up will be called for definitely. And the scale up cannot happen unless we have more production happening and more availability of the drug happening and at reasonable prices. That was the reason they thought of challenging it.
0: Right. When you actually filed the opposition in 2019, did you face any uh, resistance or did you face any pressure from any side?
1: I remember that just that year when uh, we filed in February 2019, in that very year there was a big TB conference that was held in India, which is called the Union Conference on Lung Health and that was held in Hyderabad and there... I remember that top executives from Johnson & Johnson were present over there and they had publicly made a statement that come 2023, generic manufacturers will be allowed to produce the drug. And then we see simultaneously that they were trying to sort of push for patent where they could extend the life of the patent by four more years. That is what I think prompted us to file. So the idea here to make it very clear is that I'm not against Say, I understand the fact that, you know, medicines take time, there is a lot of R&D involved. I am completely aware of that. What I was against is the fact that there is a patent life that already exists for 20 years. What is the point of extending more than that? That is where my problem came from.
0: Besides this particular issue, what is it that you think can change for the better for TB treatment in India?
1: A singular most thing, apart from medicines, is I think the need for a TB vaccine. We have a vaccine already, but it is you know 100 years old, and that's the BCG vaccine that we are taking. The vaccine is clearly not effective against adults. It's not like I was not immunized against TB. I had all my immunizations in place, but this has also been the fact that we are still using a 100-year-old vaccine. Think about a parallel disease and I keep telling this that there is another infectious disease which exactly travels in the air like TB and that's COVID and we had like say 50 candidates in a matter of one year. That much amount of funding and money and vaccine candidates just about came in one or two years time but we're still using one vaccine for the past 100 years. So I think, uh, you know, that's, that's a very big sort of a glaring contrast that I see in how diseases can be viewed.
0: When I reached out to j India for their participation in the podcast, they provided their official response to the bedaquiline patent rejection. j written response is recreated for the audio
4: purpose. Johnson & Johnson is a long-standing partner in India's efforts to combat TB, providing access to Serturo bedaquilin, improving diagnostic capacity, training health workers on the clinical management of TB and DRTB, and raising awareness about TB at the community level. The patent application in question for a formulation of bedaquilin was filed in India over a decade ago as part of standard procedures when developing new medicines. Whether this patent was granted or not, A formulation patent would not have prevented generic manufacturers from developing the active pharmaceutical ingredient API in their own formulations after July 2023 when our API patent expires in India. We remain committed to supporting India's efforts to end TB and look forward to participating in the TB High Level Summit hosted by Prime Minister Modi later this week.
0: My colleague Vikas explains something deeper behind this reply.
3: I have seen the response that j and has given that its API patent expiry would have anyways allowed Indian generic companies to go for copies. That straight away gives me a feeling that there was no need to file an extension application for the existing formulation patent. What you are clearly seeing here is an attempt towards evergreening. It cannot be just a procedure. And uh, thankfully, Indian courts are that way. The Patent Office is extremely knowledgeable in understanding exactly what should be prioritized as a strong case for patents. It has actually been very active in examination of patents of innovative drugs. And traditionally, we have not allowed incremental innovation as per Section 3D of uh, the Indian Patent Act. Mm. So frivolous patenting of products by MNCs has been dismissed. And quick thing about global research on TB drugs and TB vaccine is also a little interesting. Mm. Uh, till the time HIV really hit the big US and Europe, There wasn't much research getting done because, you know, it was a poor man's disease. It was mostly in the Southern Hemisphere, India, Africa. So, you know, the interest of global companies was also extremely limited. So once it started hitting HIV and patients started getting TB, then the interest levels actually started coming up. So that's the asymmetry of the global pharmaceutical industry.
0: Mumbai-based BDR Pharma is one of the companies disrupting the oncology market in India by challenging the evergreening of patents. In one of my earlier episodes on cancer, Dharmesh Shah, its chairman, had
5: shared this. There are a lot of cases the originators are trying to get the extension of their genus patent by doing an evergreening of the patent. And that Mm. is where a lot of generic companies are filing their oppositions in a country like India we are not accepting section 3D or evergreening of the patent. And this is very essential that we get a support from the court of law as well as for the government of India, because as we know that advanced drugs are very expensive drugs. So, that more and more generics can come into the market to be benefiting the patients. I definitely oppose the section 3D or evergreening. And if somebody hmm. is trying to monopolize, in addition to 15 years granted patent period of enjoying the fruits for still five or 10 years, I strongly object to it. For which, at least as my organization, I am very vocal about it. I have a risk taking ability and I fight out those battles, even though they are expensive at times. But yes, we have a larger goal. And larger goal is the patients who are unable to afford these medicines.
0: But it's not just evergreening. j in India has been embroiled in several controversies over the years. It continues to manufacture and market its talc baby powder, even when it has discontinued the same in the US and Canada. My colleague Vikas broke the news in 2019 on its internal investigation on the mis-selling of the painkiller drug Ultraset. Then there is also the ongoing legal battle of patients of its faulty hip implant seeking compensation. j India responded to our query about the talc baby powder. They stand by their product and their detailed response is posted in the description of this podcast. I spoke to my colleague Tina Thakkar, Senior Assistant Editor at the Economic Times, who has been reporting on the health sector for nearly two decades now. She won the Ramnath Goenka Award for her persistent reporting that compelled the government and the company to acknowledge the issue of patient compensations.
2: So this story is really close to my heart and I still remember that it was on August 23rd, 2018 that we did a long-form spread on the faulty hip implant of Johnson & Johnson and the havoc it had played with the lives of people in India. For patients, the problem with the hip implants uh, also called acetabular surface replacement, which is ASR. It required additional painful operations in which the device was replaced with yet another artificial hip. So uh, for some, the damage to the bones, muscles and nerves from the troubled device, which had shed tiny metallic particles, had left them permanently disabled. So and what worse was that in the US the company had paid 2.5 billion dollars due to the implants that led to permanent disability of several patients and that the compensation was tipped to be the highest ever for any medical device and however in India Johnson & Johnson did nothing to provide them with any assistance. The story was just beyond the obvious. It was not confined to some documents. So the challenge was to put everything in context with like care, affection and understanding. And uh, thankfully, the story set the ball rolling, swung the government into action. And for me, the hardest part was uh, gaining the confidence of patients who went through this, you know, enormous suffering for last 10 years and had lost confidence in the government machinery and the company. So they were fighting actually a lost battle. So I did a series of meetings with the patients, traveled to Mumbai and saw how these people were living with compromised health. Right. And how many patients that we are talking about here? So the patients were in thousands. Because India doesn't have those, that tracking system as well. So the company gave some figures and it was very difficult to track all those patients. So I think in some thousands or so, these patients were there who had uh, this, you know, faulty hip implant in their bodies.
0: And this whole, uh, you know, faulty hip implant case, the entire thing was brought to surface to the public view because of media.
2: Yeah. So how do you see that looking back? You know, though I broke the story, but it became everyone's story. Like, you know, the whole of media had started covering it, building pressure on the company and the government alike. So it really became big. It's very close to my heart, as I said because I broke it. But it kind of became like a movement for everyone. And then the patients came together. And then there were groups which were formed. And then there were NGOs who started helping. So and then finally, in November 2018, Mm. uh, the government devised a formula to decide on the quantum of compensation.
0: Uh, What was the conduct of the company J&J throughout this issue?
2: So, yeah, initially they were indifferent and they were not even responding to my emails. So they had hired a company who used to interact with me when I used to send them emails and all, asking them what had happened 10 years back. And their first reaction was like, you know, why do you want to dig into it? Initially, they were very, very indifferent because it was an old case and they thought nothing will come out of it as far as the patients and the compensation are concerned. Uh, But soon, you know, when we all got together, uh, they realized that it won't be easy for them to get away.
0: And I believe that the court case is still going on and the compensation amount, the exact one is still awaited, right?
2: Yes. So the government had uh, devised a formula on the basis of the percentage of disability to the faulty hip implant, according to which some patients even became entitled to receiving more than a crore or so. However, since India doesn't have a law on compensation, the company went to court. Fortunately, the court later ordered that at least pay an interim compensation of rupees 25 lakh to each patient. So the case is still ongoing. We just hope that if the court approves of the government formula, then some patients who are like more than 90% disabled will get much more compensation from the company. It's been there in the court for last like four years now.
0: And so another thing, Tina, how do you see now going ahead, things should change for you to kind of feel satisfied that yes, now we are seeing
2: actually the things that we would love to see always. You know, there's a lot of satisfaction, but I feel that we need to do a lot more. If we ask right kind of questions from the government machinery, I think they are bound to reply and they're bound to answer us back. And I just hope that, you know, this just opens up not only for journalists, but also for government that they are answerable. And so, if they are answerable, they have to do things right. They just cannot brush things under the carpet. And I hope that, you know, we see pharma sector much more answerable and doing things for the betterment of the people. And I feel that there'll be a change and change for good.
0: Right. I'm sure when these compensation news and all is out, I think more patients will be kind of prompted to come together and fight for their rights if they have been wronged in any way.
2: Yes, I just hope so. I was approached by this person who was in the US and so he wanted to make it a suit which he could file in the court because it was a American company. Unfortunately, it couldn't happen. But, you know, we saw these kind of faces emerging from nowhere mm. trying to help people in India. These kind of cases and these kind of stories should open a lot of avenues For such people who are facing such problems by these companies who feel that it's not their responsibility to compensate or, you know, just get away with whatever they have done.
0: This whole discussion highlights a lot of points about how pharma MNCs conduct business in India compared to their home markets.
3: These things have actually been an issue of pushing the approval process too much and so not just JJ and J, other companies have also been found in uh, violation, uh, where you know medical ethics have been violated. In India, the cases that they have actually handled have been very different from the way the cases have been handled in the U.S. or in Europe. One of the things that comes to mind is one is of a loose regulatory framework where they are actually handled and caught doing these things on the wrong side. And secondly, is also about lack of awareness of patients. In India, we don't have a very active patient groups. So, you know, the case in point is about how the two TB patients actually brought in this case supported by MSF, of course. And then we have this major victory, but excluding this, we don't see a lot of patient involvement where they raise the awareness about issues, about what these new technologies are. So pharma companies have actually taken advantage of that kind of a situation. Say, for example, in hip implant and in in other cases, the compensations paid have been significantly higher than what they have been paid in India. There are some 38,000 lawsuits that we have seen in the talcum powder case. Now, <laughs> yeah, so that is a massive number, yeah. And so the organisations, the companies, are also extremely careful on hitting the wrong issues, and then the compliance goes for a absolute mess. I think that's something that will come here as well, but most of it is because we have a setup, a regulatory setup, which do not detect and penalize companies the way they do in the US. And secondly, because they are, the patient awareness itself is very, very weak.
0: And now, of course, MNC pharma companies have changed their India strategy, bringing in their innovative patented products to avoid competition from the generic players and to enjoy pricing power.
3: So until the last decade, uh, what we had seen is that MNCs are also playing the same story of having the branded generic market, you know, bombarding with new kind of combinations. But what has happened in the last seven, eight years, very remarkably, is that they have actually started focusing very heavily on their innovative drug. Hmm. What happens in the innovative drug is that you have that one drug, which will be an absolute appealing point to the medical expert. So you have two advantages. One, there is no competitor there. Second, you can actually price it the way you want. Now, even if it is priced at a very less charge as compared to a global price, it still remains very high. But this is what they actually want to bring into India. So slowly, if you have seen GSK, Pfizer, Novartis, AstraZeneca, all kinds of companies have actually cut down on their field staff, which had been promoting legacy products the subsequent shift has come to innovative drugs.
0: This means that the advanced and effective drugs will continue to be available at a price beyond the reach of a large population that needs them the most. Patients will have to wait till the primary patent expires and also be ready to wait further in case the innovator company manages to get the life of its patent extended. I understand that pharma companies are running a global business and not here to do charity. But India can be a great volume market instead of a sluggish value market for a large pharma MNC. In addition to prioritizing profits, companies have to be cognizant of the huge disease burden of the country, especially when these companies talk about keeping the patients first and are in the business of saving lives. Their patient access programs can only do so much. The moot question is, can patient access be part of a pharma company's business model? Interestingly, both the instances of patent rejection and compensation for faulty hip implants, as discussed in this episode, show that patient advocacy is still in its nascent stages in India. The patient rights groups are yet to evolve and gain clout in the pharma and healthcare industry. Class action suits by patients seeking compensation are quite rare since the awareness is low and the judicial process is cumbersome and time-consuming. India frankly needs many more Nanditas who can not only speak up on behalf of patients but also play an active role in opposing the moves of companies that deprive patients of the medicines or compensation that is legally and morally due to them. There has to be consistent pressure built by the media's reportage on healthcare and pharma, on the government as well as on the industry to make them think of patients first and penalize the players for wrongdoing. The term patient-centricity can't just adorn the corporate websites or speeches of the company officials or government reports. It has to be seen playing out across all markets of a company to be believed. So that's it for today. This is Kiran Somanchi from the Economic Times and you were listening to Patience Before Patents or Profits only on the Morning Brief. A big thank you to fellow journalists Nandita Venkateshan, Vikas Dandekar, and Tina Thakkar for sharing their lived experiences and industry insights. This episode was brought to you by sound editor Rajas Nayak and executive producers Anupriya Nair, Anirban Chaudhary and Arijit Barman. We hope you liked this episode. Do share it on your social media networks. Do remember to tune in to a new episode of the Morning Brief podcast every Tuesday, Thursday and Friday. It streams on Amazon Prime Music, GeoSavan, Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts. And of course, ET's own audio platform, ET Play. Have a great week ahead.